0: Now, let's get on with the show.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I am CJ Wolf with Healthicity, and I'm excited. I always say that. I'm always excited because I always like meeting new people and hearing their story. Uh, our guest today is Stacey Crudup. Welcome, Stacey.
0: Thanks for having me, CJ. I'm excited to be with you.
1: Really appreciate your time. Uh, I think we're going to talk about a very important topic, um, and but before we kind of jump into that uh, topic, I'd like to give you an opportunity to maybe share a little bit about yourself, um, what you're doing, you know, background professionally, those types of things, if, if you if you'd like.
0: Sure. Um, so my name is Stacy Crudup. I'm the Chief Compliance Officer for a company called the Seas Group. We're based here in Franklin, Tennessee. And we are very narrowly focused on ophthalmology, so single specialty practices and ASCs. And prior to my work here with the C's group, I was with a Nashville-based hospital um, operations company, and was with that company, I think, in total for about fourteen years. Wow. So have a. Um, Quite lengthy history yes. in healthcare <laughs> compliance. Uh, I guess I've been doing that since um, 2004, so that kind of gives you an idea. And um, like many of us, a lot of us, I think, kind of segued into compliance from other areas. And I actually right. was in was in IT uh, before getting into healthcare compliance and had helped build out some. Um, Custom databases and case management software for the Tennessee Supreme Court. So, uh, very, um, very circuitous path probably to compliance. But some of the, some of the skill set from my old job as a business analyst and, and database mapper um, kind of helped me, um, in some of what I do on the day to day now. So Absolutely, how I got like here.
1: Absolutely, and thank you for sharing that. I. I- we all come from different backgrounds like i come from a clinical background i meet people who come from a legal background accounting auditing right and it I, i'm seeing more and more folks that and that's a great skill set i think in compliance and um it's kind of what i love about compliance is it's it, it it's people from different backgrounds coming together and making a great team and uh working through through the issues so absolutely yeah and and that's actually kind of uh related to our topic today, we wanna to talk about um, embedding compliance into operations, um, which you know some of us do more of than others. There's reasons why you might do it. There's reasons why you might wanna stay away from it. Um, and, and it can vary. Um, and so I thought this was a great topic. I'm grateful that you're willing to talk a little bit about it. And maybe let's just start with why it would even be important. Um, if you have thoughts on, on that.
0: Sure. I think it can become important for a variety of reasons, but from a practical perspective, if you work in a smaller organization, I think compliance officers are called upon to wear just a myriad of hats. Right. And um, it's, it is imperative that you understand what others that you may be interacting with on a day-to-day basis um, are actually doing, you know, what, what makes up their standard work and, and what duties and tasks are they carrying out that might have risk attached to them on a daily basis. And from another perspective, and perhaps this is more personal, I actually like to get to know people on the front line of operations. I think that sometimes compliance can have a bad rap. We can have a um perception perhaps of of being glorified police officers or some sort of a a negative connotation that when people see our name or our faces they want to run Uh, but hopefully when you get out into the field whether you're working in hospitals clinics as i do or ascs as i do just putting a name with a face and hopefully it's a smiling face um, can actually you know build some relationships and I know that we talk or hear a lot of talk about relationship building um, and, and a lot of our compliance seminars. But I think we have to ask ourselves, it's a great concept, but how are you actually doing it? And I mm-hmm. think just getting out there and, and uh, letting them get to know you personally and see how you work is is a great um, approach to doing that. And then lastly, as compliance officers, um, one of the things I think that we have to have is credibility. Yes. And so in my experience, and this is something that I've had to continually work on, as you know, as compliance officers, we're constantly battling newly updated regulations, um, new rules, new regulations, new interpretations of existing rules. So understanding all of the authorities is pertinent, but also having a flip side understanding of, of what does it mean if you're sitting in a front desk person's chair And to actually implement that. So if I'm, you know, sitting on some in some ivory tower saying you've got to do this, that or the other, um, it's not nearly as meaningful uh, coming from me unless I have been sitting down with that front desk receptionist or doing patient intake and actually understanding what, what their job entails. And once I have done that, they know that I understand what walking in their shoes and tails and yeah. so then they're going to give you a lot more respect. And I think what you do have to say, uh, will have more credibility and weight when you have an occasion to say it.
1: Yeah. I, I those are all excellent points. And I, you know, having been around uh, compliance for many years now, um, I, I think you hit on all the things I was thinking about as well. Um, like you said, just from a practical standpoint, um, you, you, might have a smaller compliance department and, and you have to, Right. But I've been in organizations where they've had large compliance departments and they've strategically made the decision to embed compliance uh, into operations. We always say, well, at least we always think we say, you know, compliance belongs to everybody. It's everybody's job. It's not right. the compliance officer's job. It's people on the front line. What better way to make that true than to actually give them compliance responsibilities? Right. Right. Um, And embedded in And I love what you said about relationships. I I think, you know, from a compliance perspective, I gained more from from developing good relationships than any sort of kind of mechanical or technical thing that I put in place. It was always under like you just said, understanding what that person is faced with in operations Um, and learning what their day to day job is. You gain credibility by helping them find solutions, not being a roadblock. And um, so I love that. I I think that that's really good. Um, I was at one uh, organization that was a client of mine. uh, It was a large university. And in the university setting, I I think embedding compliance in operations is a little bit more common that I've seen. Um, So, for example, like in the research entity, um, the compliance folks were hired. They actually belonged to the research department. Um, and then they had a dotted line into the compliance program. Now, I, I know that there's different opinions on that, you know, dotted line versus solid line and those sorts of things. But sometimes it can work um, depending on the uh, the culture, you know.
0: Indeed. Yeah, I agree. Totally the culture. The culture, I think, is that um, unspoken element that can really make you or break you. You, It will either um, drive your success or perhaps uh, present an obstacle, but culture is absolutely important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you've done this before. So any (laughs) tips on uh, or tactics on how somebody might succeed if if they're thinking they want to embed some or a lot of their compliance functions into operations?
0: Sure, Um, so we can talk through kind of some broader tactics that I've used in the past and then get down into some more um, nitty-gritty type things. So uh, I'll speak most recently of, of my current position. I think as anyone coming into a co- new compliance position, whether you're at an analyst or at even a chief compliance officer uh, role, you do have to initially just understand the business um, before you can get down into the, the deep weeds of operations. You do need to understand what are uh, what's the mission of the business what are the strategic right. goals and strategic initiatives and if you can get access to it which hopefully you do have access to it You should understand, you know, what is the strategic plan for, say, the next 12 months or the next five years, because that's going to give you some insight into what is going to be happening in the different operational departments that are supporting those uh, strategic goals and missions. And then one of the things that I had to do in my current position, because I was coming from hospitals and so it was a big change for me. It was actually a much more narrow role um, going into a single specialty physician practice world and um, single specialty ASCs. But I did learn um, there are specific risks that are involved in ophthalmology, which is where I find myself now. And so certainly before you go out and start sitting down with other team members, understand the the regulatory environment that you're living in now. Um, What are the current issues? Are there current advisory opinions? Have you looked at the most recent rules, whether they're OPPS, you know, um, right. make a position fee schedule, HIPAA, OCR, gather everything that you can gather. And it may even be in trade magazines or, or right. from even the specialty boards where your docs are, are practicing. Exactly. But understand, you know, kind of the rules of the road before you go out, because the worst thing you can do is probably go out prematurely and not really know exactly uh, what you're talking about. You don't want to do that. Um, And then some of the things that I have tried to do, and this is something I guess I learned years ago working um, at Ascension, is certainly learn how to use the EMR yourself. Um, You know, take take good courses, I would say. You know, work with the EMR for about two weeks before you go out into the clinics or the hospitals so that you can have intelligent conversations uh, with the folks that are out there actually doing the work, whether they're sitting at the front desk or they're a scribe or a tech or a nurse. um, You want to be able to follow the conversations that you're engaging with, with the folks on the front lines. And then once you've kind of given yourself that Education. Um, something I've tried to practice is what I've referred to as high-risk department immersion. I know that sounds very lofty. <laughs> all it all it means is, you know, in any environment, you're going to know or likely you're going to know as a compliance officer, you know, what departments are engaging in day-to-day tasks that are going to create the most amount of risk for the organization. Um, so once you identify those departments, uh, then you go. Two um, specific locations that you can pick. When I have always worked, I've tried to go to either uh, the larger clinics or at least high volume clinics or high volume uh, ASCs, so that I can see you know a lot of activity uh, in a right. short span of time and shadow positions within yes. each of those key risk areas. Um, <clears throat> I, I will say, you know, even recently, certainly the No Surprises Act has been a challenge. Um, for, I think, smaller organizations to implement. And but just being able to sit down with your um, front desk. In our case, right. we have centralized scheduling and centralized insurance, ver- insurance verification, but understanding you know, something as simple as what tools are you using to meet uh, good faith estimate requirements? And are they even really working? And do you understand the timeframes that are in place? So um, constantly having to sit down and understand people's workflow and um, just really immerse yourself in their day to day. And that could include even physician shadowing or surgical scheduling, you name it. And um, it will, I don't think it will ever being negative for you to sit down and spend time with the people who are the subject matter experts in those daily tasks. So I, I, that, that emotion. I'm sorry. sorry. No, absolutely. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, I actually want to maybe share a quick little example of that that I experienced, but I'm going to do this after our, a quick break that we're going to take. So uh, stick with us, everybody, and we'll be right back.
0: Thanks for listening to Compliance Conversations. We hope the expert information and discussions are a valuable asset to your compliance career. Healthicity also offers software solutions to help people like you manage their compliance programs. Compliance Manager is a comprehensive, all-in-one, customizable solution that will save you time, stress, and make your compliance program more effective. Head over to healthicity.com for a quick demo video to see how Compliance Manager can bring simplicity to your everyday work. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're talking um, about embedding compliance uh, into operations. And Stacy was just talking about shadowing. Uh, and Stacy, that, that reminded me early in my career, it was in a very large health system and did just that. Uh, we probably had four to 500 docs. And this doc was... Um, New in his profession. So, like, he had just been out of residency a few years. Um, and it was EMs, right? Evaluation and management coding. And he was frustrated with the rules and the EMR, just like you said, know the EMR. And went out and shadowed him and just learned what he was doing. And uh, over the course of a little bit, a few days, um, learned that he, his, like, 80% of the patients he saw fell into three different buckets. Um, and so, we helped him create templates that made sense for, you know, 80% of his patients, you know, and then he still had to work on the others, but um, that was a big like efficiency improvement for him. But we were involved from a compliance standpoint to also make sure it was being done correctly. And so, like you said, you, I don't, it's rare that those types of investments of time and relationship building, it's rare that that's ever a negative. I've always found it to be a positive just like you have.
0: Totally agree. We we literally are going through um, something very similar. We have a practice in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and wow. just recently converted them to an EMR. And as as we continue to work with them, just understanding their practice patterns, understanding their patient population and and, and you know, population health really, uh, we've been able to partner with them also and build out some templates that help their processes and, and give, give them faster throughput, certainly, but also mm-hmm. on the back end, it keeps them compliant in terms of medical necessity and coding and billing regulations. So totally, totally agree. I think there's there's so many levels of value that you can get from just spending that that time and learning practice patterns, learning the EMR and, and interfacing with the people actually doing the
1: work. Yeah, and I think in that case, I would have to insist that I must do that type of shadowing and help in person, since it's a <laughs> island. <laughs> exactly, exactly,
0: although I did have a phone call with uh, an employee yeah. I have down there and they are expecting a hurricane. Oh uh, uh, yes, that's been, true. But you do have to be um, strategic about when you when you travel to the Excellent,
1: <laughs> excellent point. I've been there, uh, went during COVID actually, uh, it was a wonderful time to go, strangely enough, Um, But we talked to a lot of the folks that live there. And yes, like hurricanes and when power goes down, it goes down for a long time. Uh, Lots of issues and things like that. Um, Just a a side note question. So, you know, I know about Medicare administrative contractors, right, and how they are divided up regionally. You know, and you always see, oh, this MAC covers these states. I'm assuming there's a MAC that covers the Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands.
0: There is. It's First Coast. So they have... um, both Florida because we have clinics in Florida as well, as well as the Virgin islands. Um, you, but you are always learning something I had never known the rates in the Virgin islands are different than Uh, the mainland. So that, that was an education point for me, but it is first coast. And, um, I've actually was on the phone with them yesterday. So, (laughs) so, uh, and of course we have Palmetto for our clinics in Tennessee Alabama and Georgia.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So I just was curious. Sorry about that little diversion, but um, it's. I find it interesting. So um, let's continue, maybe a little bit more. Um, and, and what types of obstacles then do people face when they're trying to embed, uh, you know, compliance uh, into operations? What have you seen, and, and what have you heard from maybe peers and colleagues too?
0: I think sometimes there is. Um, the perception. And I understand why people have this perception. I think it's up to us to kind of be able to persuade people from this point of view. But I think that people often come to the table, especially if you haven't been involved in compliance programs before, but you can see them as unfunded mandates. Right. And, um, you know, basically you're a cost center. You're not adding value, um, we aren't revenue producing, certainly. What right. I would say is that we are very good at, at revenue capture. And right. I think something, you know, the templates, that's an excellent example of revenue capture. You're not allowing um, denials to go out the door. You're you're being able to prove that things are medically necessary. Right. So being able to um, articulate and persuade your case that you are not just a cost center, that you can actually add value um, to the organization, I think is just incredibly imperative. And so we try to do that through a a number of KPIs. Um, I sit on the denials committee here. I've done it before in larger institutions and being able to quantify, you know, uh, dollars that might've been overturned on appeal or captured in in um, overturning denials, as it were. And then the other piece on the front end is just making sure this was something that I had never seen before or encountered. So this is a learning experience for me too. It's making sure that whatever um, department or business segment that you are working with understands how to Know that it has cha- cap, uh, done its charge capture completely. Right, right. Do they have a reconciliation process? So uh, that has been interesting in in a smaller organization and helping to build out those structures. Um, and so I'm thinking between you know coding audits uh, that we also manage in my department making sure that we're capturing things there, helping with charge reconciliation and capture denials, management, appeal, appealing overturned denials, um, those things all can prove your worth. And then certainly um, when I was even interviewing for this job, I always think of compliance risk in terms of a heat map. Right. And in my opinion, the two top issues they're always going to be um, facing healthcare companies are, billing and coding piece, which we've talked about, but also potential referral source relationships and those financial (laughs) arrangements and um, helping people understand what the fines are (laughs) or can be if you don't have um, compliant financial arrangements with potential referral sources. Um, Certainly, you know, It's even gone up recently. They're starting at what, 11,000 to 22 grand, I think, for uh, civil monetary penalties per claim. So, um, having that number uh, handy and being able to help (laughs) folks understand through good leadership and executive education uh, what the ramifications are under Stark, AKS, and certainly the False Claims Act, as we're seeing more and more enforcement around those. Exactly. I think once you see um, begin to paint that picture, you can um, overcome a lot of obstacles who may have been there. And I would say that's true from the front line team all the way up to your executive team and maybe even boards of director member.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, that's those are all i think really good things to kind of watch out for obstacles you might face I, i'm curious if you've ever heard or seen of this so as i work with clients um, you know they ask you know can you come evaluate our compliance program can you help us design a compliance program and you know there's many ways to skin that cat mm-hmm. um, and when i bring up kind of embedding uh, certain functions into operations some of the compliance folks get nervous and they say well but will they really look at it from a compliance perspective or will they only look at it from an operations perspective? Right. Will they really be that police that, uh, you know, and I try to stay a word from, stay away from trying to be seen as the police, but some compliance folks really want that. Have you heard that or run into that about concerns about the operations folks maybe not knowing compliance well enough or not having the right appetite, you know, to report things and, and that kind of stuff?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes. And, and I, I think that's been historically present in every one of my roles. I think it, it probably comes in ebbs and flows, but I think that's something that you always are going to have to contend with. And mm-hmm. something that I've used um, beneficially in the past is, in my opinion, a lot of what we do as compliance professionals can be seen in the um, prism of performance improvement. And as you know, uh, most operations folks are very concerned with how do we do things faster and better and less cost.
1: That's right. Exactly.
0: And so a lot of times I will frame my conversations in the terms of performance improvement. Okay. Um, And and that is how a lot of times I've been able to get my end. We're, dealing with that even even now with um we have a large retina practice and mm-hmm. this year in the past year we've had a lot three brand new drugs that have come out to treat um retina disorders. Right. And um some of them were not assigned J codes for some time. Oh boy. And so um we, we didn't realize that some of our physicians were already using some of these drugs and we we're having to build non-specific codes and
1: right. obviously
0: not getting paid. So we were able to go back and um, get buy-in on, you know, we need to approach these new drugs differently. Uh, it behooves all of us to get paid for what we do. And so let's build out a new services process. So that will include not only the physician, not only the billing folks, but make sure that we've got you know the payer relations people. Are we even covered under contracts? Do we know how to get pre-offs for this at the at the um, you know insurance verification stage? So we've been able to not only get us compliant with some of the LCDs surrounding these drugs, but also. Um, get people on board because they understand that by having a process, we're actually going to get paid and get to keep the money um, that we earned through billing and providing the service. So I always try to come at it from maybe a PI perspective uh, to get the operations folks on board.
1: Yeah, that's such a great, and that's, that's such a great idea. And it's really what you've been kind of telling us all along is understand the business understand the people you're dealing with how they see life how they see work and those sorts of things Uh, stacy we're we're kind of coming up to the end of our time and it's been a pleasure talking to you i always allow our guests kind of last word and and see if they have any kind of last minute thoughts or advice or Uh, favorite book, favorite movie, whatever. (laughs) Any any (laughs) last last
0: words? (laughs) My famous last words are, I still go back to relationship building. I think it's important to um, not only build relationships with the folks on the front lines, but I can't say enough for um, the people who work with me on a a daily basis. I've always said, if you say that you're a leader, but then you look over your shoulder and no one is following, then you may be in trouble. Uh, But if when I think about relationship building, just always um, put some personal value and let people know that you would love to help them personally, you wanna help their personal growth um, and, and be sincere in, in those interactions. And I think that will help you not only from a compliance perspective, but certainly just as personal growth and and uh, cause you never know uh, when you're gonna see those people again in the future. That That's right. That would great. probably be my parting shot.
1: Yeah, uh, great advice, and and I echo it. I've, I've experienced that myself, and so thank you so much, Stacy, for your time, um, sharing your insights and expertise today.
0: Thank you for having me. Have a Absolutely.
1: great one. Absolutely, and thank you all to our listeners uh, for taking the time to listen to this episode. Uh, I always invite our listeners to um, you know send in ideas. Do you know of other guests that you think would be good guests? Um, you know, topic ideas, we'd we'd love to hear it. And if you're enjoying these, please uh, share these podcasts with friends, uh, like and subscribe, do all those good things. Um, And uh, we wish you uh, a a very good day and uh, happy compliance to you. Thanks, everyone.
0: Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healththecity.com.